This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. do a series on Acts. Uh, this is part one. Uh, not this sermon is part one. We're starting part one and we'll, do, uh, we'll have a break and then do part two in a bit. Um, I don't know if, you've, if you read during the summer. I mean, I often find that uh, reading during the summer is like the best thing that I get, you get to do because normally life's so busy. Um, and usually my books of choice are around history and politics sometimes and culture definitely and it seemed like I didn't kind of pick the books that I read through the summer. You can ask me if you want what, what I read later. Naomi had picked a few. And it seemed that all the books that I read this summer had kind of one, one pattern, one rhythm, one refrain. And um, Glenn Sriven, in a book that I read actually before the summer, puts it this way. The way the people in the secular West, people like you and me, view the world, our cultures, convictions, values and goals, and our ways of thinking about what we value has been deeply shaped by the Jesus Revolution, otherwise known as the Christian faith. These values are are so all-pervasive that we consider them universal, obvious, natural, the air we breathe. And it's interesting, I've kind of read books from secular people and I've read books from Christian people, and what it feels like, come together, it feels like there's a, a little bit of a groundswell saying, actually, all the things that are really, really critical to us are actually come out of Jesus's teaching. Um, so the, the rethink stuff, uh, that, that just to kind of underline that, you know, where do our values of our, about human rights come from? Where do our values of, of, of valuing the victim come from? They come from the Jesus revolution. They come from what we're part of. They come from Jesus. And although people don't really realize that, it's become so natural for us to, to, to think like Jesus did about people and individuals and victims that, that we somehow have decided, thought that's part of secular culture, but it actually comes from Jesus. So I want to really encourage you to come to Rethink. Uh, it will really help you. Simon Edwards is brilliant. But it's also something I feel that God is, is saying to us, and we're going to do one in January about rethinking the sexual revolution. I read a great book by uh, a, a, a secular lady called Louise Perry about uh, the, the sexual revolution and how that's just not worked out. So lots of stuff there. But it's interesting just to think about why we think about stuff. So let me give you an example. We, um, it's tragic, the floods in Pakistan. I don't know if you, it, most of it happened while I was away. I didn't see much, uh, much around that. But I mean, that's a picture from uh, a town in, in, in Pakistan. You know, there's been a, 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 over 1,208 1, people uh, as of yesterday have been killed. Half a million forced from their homes. 33 million people have been more broadly impacted with uh, roads and livelihoods washed away, and the and the damage is ten billion, ten billion. I mean, they think the UN called for one hundred and fifty million. It's not even going to scratch the surface. But it's interesting, isn't it, that that the call to respond to floods in 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 uh, in Pakistan or to call to respond to help those people that are victims of stuff. We think that's just part of being caring, secular West people. It's not. It comes directly from Jesus. 
If you'd asked somebody 2,000 years ago in ancient Rome or ancient Greek that the thought of helping somebody you know, thousands of miles away in a village kind of on, in the Indus Valley, they'd have gone, don't be ridiculous. You know, if you'd have asked uh, people, oh, I'll actually write it down here, the ancient Greek of Rome, the thought of helping the weakest, the most vulnerable, would have been greeted with incredulity. Why would the rich and the strong help the poor and the weak? Why would a senator in Rome care about the death of a thousand poor villagers a thousand miles from Rome? They wouldn't. You might say, oh, yes, they would, but they wouldn't. I mean, there's a picture of, of, of the emperor Hadrian who built Hadrian's wall. What's he got? He's got his foot on the back of a weak person because that's how Roman culture was. That's how Roman culture was. The very thought of showing love and compassion for others, for victims, was utterly strange. Uh, it, it was absolutely ridiculous to a first century Roman ears. But it isn't now because of Jesus. It isn't now because of Jesus. Although we don't think of it that way, that Jesus changed the way we think, changed the culture. The Jesus who was moved with compassion, the Jesus who showed that, 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 that God is love, not that not a God is an idol that's got to be placated and, and sacrificed to because, uh, because he's angry. No, he showed us a God of love. He showed us he became poor and weak. He became a victim. He died a slave's death. He had suddenly changed. The cross as the symbol of, of Christianity is a symbol of vi- victimhood and weakness and poverty. And actually, because that became the way that the new uh, Christian movement, the Jesus Revolution, Jesus sparked, a, as he rose from the dead, sparked a, a revolution, a new way of living, and turned the way we view the world upside down. Thank you, Christopher. Everyone else is not sure. Let's say that again. He changed the way we see and turned the world upside down. Mm. Yes, okay. Michael Green, in his book about the book of Acts, says this. Three critical decades in world history, that's all it took. And the years between AD 30, that's just when Jesus started his ministry, and around 60, maybe 63, 64, a new movement was born. In those 30 years, the seedbed for this global movement took decisive root, gained sufficient growth and credibility to have, listen to this, an indelible impact on two millennia of global culture and transform the lives of millions of people. I want global culture to be changed again, do you? 30 years. And and, uh, 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 Michael uh, Green goes on, he says, there's only one connected historical account of this astonishing cultural volcanic eruption, uh, how what began as a tiny Jewish messianic sect changed the world, and it's contained in the book of Acts. Hmm, interested now about the book of Acts, maybe. John's nodding. Thank you, John's good to see you. Um, But it's probably helpful to acknowledge that actually, because if we think everything happens in the West, nothing happens if it's not happening in Europe, there was actually cultural mission right across the world that's not recorded in the the book of Acts. So we just need to be clear about that. So so here's here's, here's, uh, some stuff that I picked up. And there's just kind of hints. There's not like a a written account like Luke wrote with the book of Acts. He put Andrew, the disciple Andrew, went to Russia and to Asia Minor, which is now Turkey, and to Greece. Thomas went to east of Syria and even as far as India. Philip to North Africa. Matthew to Persia and Ethiopia. Um, Bartholomew to India with Thomas. 
Armenia and Ethiopia and southern Arabia. Thomas uh, Bartholomew was busy. And Simon the Zealot went to Persia. We don't have any records of those. All we have is the record of Paul, okay? So just let's not get the idea that there was no Christian mission happening anywhere else apart from Europe. So we just don't want to be very kind of Eurocentric. Is that, is that helpful? Okay, so, but we are going to talk about what is recorded about what Paul did and what did uh, in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at it in three slices. The first, we're going to see a clash of two temples. Do you like the graphic? It's a bit different from our normal graphic. I wasn't quite sure. You know, I thought, oh, I'm a, is this is our normal graphic? But no, we're going to see about two temples. Um, and uh, we're going to see how the gospel community, the church, because of the outpoured spirit, became the new temple of God. And we'll look about that in, in a couple of weeks. And, and what happens, we'll see that the leaders of the Jewish temple saw the Jesus movement as dangerous heretics to be wiped out, a bit like now. These unschooled men teaching that an ordinary workman was greater than Abraham and Moses flipped their mind. The belief that Jesus was God's Messiah was a front to all they believed. How could the man cursed and crucified be the liberating Messiah, the Christ? The claim, this claim made nonsense of all their political dreams of liberation and nationhood. Everyone's like, no, the, the, the Jewish temple leaders saw what Jesus, was, what Jesus did in the early church in Acts. They saw it as an abomination to be wiped out. And you can understand why. Michael Green again writes, the Jesus movement's gathering were a supreme insult. They in effect said, scrap the temple and the sacrifices. God has finished with those. Scrap the Jewish hierarchy. is no more use for those either. The congregation of Israel is no longer where God is to be found. It's in the assemblies of Jesus' followers. Scrap circumcision, at least as a necessity for Gentiles joining the church. This is revolutionary. And we don't even think about it. The fact that you didn't have to get circumcised to join this church. Everyone think, oh, he said circumcised. Embarrassing. <laughs> is because of what, what happened in those early days in Acts. And no wonder the mob went wild and killed the guy Stephen. These Christians were attacking the central and most prized bastions of Judaism. Not only the custom that had been hallowed for years, the rabbinic teachings, but even stuff that they saw in the Old Testament. How can this happen? How can these people claim to be God's people? And so we're going to look at two temples in contrast, two temples in conflict. And hopefully we'll learn how to live as God's new temple, God's new people, God's people of the Spirit in 21st century culture. The second part of it, we're going to look at how, look at two visions, two men. There was two moments in where this messianic sect of Jews went global. The first was a guy called Paul who actually thought it was a mess. He was one of the ones who was uh, saying, let's kill all the Christians, let's kind of murder them. He has that kind of iconic Damascus Road experience. We still use that language now, don't we? Damascus Road experience. It's radical transformation. He sees the risen Jesus and suddenly instead of defending Jewish heritage and culture, he's actually going across the boundaries. He's going to nations where it would be, no, we just stay with among the Jews. Suddenly the, 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 the gospel of Jesus is going multicultural. It's going multi-ethnic. It's going across. Suddenly the promises that were to Abraham to bless all nations, suddenly action. Peter who um, has a vision. I was at, we were actually in that place in, 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 when we went on holiday now and I. Peter has a vision of food banned by, banned by Jewish laws. And he hears a voice from heaven saying, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And in that moment, a Gentile centurion comes to his house who he would have said, I never go with you. Has that vision. He goes to, Pete, he goes to Cornelius' house and suddenly the Holy Spirit comes 
and the, and the, and the, the movement, the Jesus movement, goes multicultural. You might think, not think that's a big deal. It's huge. It's huge. It says suddenly that this is not just some elite Jewish movement. This is a, Jew, a, a, a movement where there is no inequality between Jew and Gentile. There's no hierarchy of races. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female inequalities. So I think as we look at that, we'll be stirred to be a community of radically inclusive love. And then the third thing that we're going to look at, and we'll, we'll take a break in the series uh, in November and then into Christmas, we're going to look at two kingdoms, two cultures in collision. We're going to follow the Apostle Paul as he brings the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. And, and basically what he does is peacefully goes to town after town and says, the gods you're worshipping are worthless idols. I mean, I, 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 is that a message for our, for our culture, for our generation? The gods you are worshipping are useless, worthless idols. It causes a riot. One of the sermons we're going to preach is called I Predict a Riot, which they play when Leeds United win at home because the band is a Leeds United fan band. But anyway, that's another story. And we didn't win this weekend, so I won't even mention that. No, I've mentioned it anyway. No, so, we, you know, there's riots in Ephesus and Lystra. Jesus, uh, you know, Paul stoned and, and taken out and, you know, and beaten up and left for dead because what he's saying, even though he's saying it incredibly peacefully, was radically countercultural. The Greek philosophers in Athens said, You're crazy. We get that now. Paul and the Christian community increasingly faced imprisonment and persecution. But we'll see how the church of Jesus lived as a family together of brothers and sisters in a way that radically cared for the poor and the vulnerable, for women and slaves. In fact, there were so many women and ex-slaves in the church that the, Jew, the Roman writer said, the church is made up of the dregs of society. That's us, eh? You know, I know they say about one church that it's the, that, that it's the conservative party at prayer, but that was not the early church. The early church were the outsiders that nobody wanted. You had too much to lose to join. It was radical to join. And in some ways, the three decades of Acts are unique. I'm not suggesting as we read the book of Acts, suddenly in the next 30 years from now, boom, it's all going to happen again. So in some ways, they're unique. But in other ways, we can learn loads. We can learn loads about how to be a radical gospel community of disciples that the church can transform culture and lives. Let me read what I've put there. In this cultural moment, as Christians, we find ourselves again as outsiders. Acts shows us that we've been here before. Luke shows us that Jesus followers can again see the vast transformation, please Lord, of culture and citizen lives that the first century church experienced. As we learn to live again as citizens of heaven, God's agents of renewal in a broken world, witnesses to the king and his kingdom. If, we give you, if you give your money to Chapel Arts, you're going to be countercultural. Everybody else in our culture is saying, no, 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 energy bills are rising and they are going to rise. And everybody's saying, no, 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 I need to hold on to my stuff. This is not a good time to give. But we're going to say, no, we're going to be different. We're going to be radically different. We're not going to trust in the money that we get from our paycheck. We're going to trust in the God of heaven. And that's what happened in the early church. They gave away radically. Don't worry, you're not going to die like Ananias and Sapphira if you lie how much you give on your pledge. 
That's not going to happen. But you are going to find that actually there's a different way of living. It's been said that Western society wants the kingdom without the king. It wants the values of love and compassion and equality and freedom that flow from, whether we acknowledge it or not, flow from Jesus. But we won't acknowledge the king. I can, can society be changed to see Jesus as king? Acts says yes. So that's my introduction. It was an introduction overview of the series, so we're going to go two temples. Some people are asleep already. Give her a nudge. Uh, two temples, two visions, <laughs> two cultures in collision. Okay, so let's just jump in then, and I'm just going to read this little short passage, and then we're going to just go verse by verse, and then we're going to be done. Okay, you good? Do you feel excited about Acts? Do you feel good? Okay, if you, uh, just lie to me if, if not. Um, okay, so I th- I'm, I'm excited about it. I think I was saying to uh, Sue, uh, she prayed for me in the, in the uh, prayed for us when we had them before. She prayed for me and, and she said, oh, I'm really excited about, uh, about the Acts series. And I said, thanks, Sue. I do feel it's a book for our time. I do feel it's a book for our time. It's 28 chapters. We're not going to do every single chapter. But I think it's going to speak to us about what is it like to live in a culture that's anti-Christian. And it's going to say to us that actually we still can make a difference. It's not just about hunkering down and hoping Jesus is going to come back. It's about saying we believe in, we believe in societal change. We believe as we live. In our, I was praying with, uh, with Tom and Dan in my three, and, uh, and, the, and, and Tom was just saying, you know, the way that Christians live as families is incredibly radical. Just to do family life, the way that, that Christians do it now is incredibly radical. You might not think that, but it is. Family life all over the place, fragmented. What's up, what's down, fragmented. Nobody, nobody knows, nobody, no anchor points. Nobody knows what to believe. Society is awash, but we're saying, actually, because of Jesus, we can be different. Amen? Okay, so let's just read this intro, uh, and, then we'll get, uh, we'll, um, and then we'll land it. Okay, Acts 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote... Uh, Theophilus, by the way, means, does anyone know? Lover of God. Points to you, Soph, yeah? Lover of God. So, Theophilus could be a, 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 a real person, a real person who sponsored Luke to write Luke and Acts. It could be a real person. It could be a person who, who doesn't want their name out there because of persecution, so they've just given him a little pseudonym, Theophilus. Or it could be us, as we read it. You're God lovers, aren't you? Yeah? You're not sure again? You, you, when I ask you a question, the general answer is yes. Okay? Unless I give you a clue. Okay, so it could be written to us. So in my thought, former book, God First, God Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented uh, to them, uh, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and talked about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. 
Then they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who, who, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you go into heaven. So it's interesting, actually, that, that right at the beginning, um, he says, uh, I, I wrote to you, uh, Theophilus, uh, I wrote in my former book, which would be the book of Luke, yeah, all that Jesus began to do and teach. There's a lovely word in there, and it's began. Began. In other words, this book, after Jesus has risen and ascended into heaven, is a began. It's actually, Jesus began it, and then he's gone into heaven, and he's still doing it. He's still doing it. Actually, the main, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, but actually, the book would be better, The Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because he is right there by his Spirit, guiding and directing. He's the main character in the story. He's the main character in your story. He's always the main character. And so, in one sense, this would be a bet, it'd be better to be called something else. Because actually, and we can often feel this even as we kind of look maybe at the Chapel Arts moments and think, this Chapel Arts moment might be an act of God First Church, what we're going to do. This is the act of God First Church. We're going to do this. And yeah, the money might, is going to come out of your pockets. It is. God, God's not going to send, send like a truckload. It'd be lovely, wouldn't it? He pulls up in the car park. Guy pulls up in the car park. We never know and say, oh, here, I've just 157000 for you. That ain't going to happen. And it could happen. But the reality is more likely you're going to look at yourself and say, I'm going to, I'm, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to trust God. But, and, but actually, the bottom line is it's not going to be us. If we do this, it's going to be him. This is going to be him. I was talking to Sean Green. I mustn't do my talk for next week now. But I was talking to Sean Green from Reading, and he said, when they raised, hey, guys, three million pounds, their church is about three, four times the size of us, so they look, when they raised three million pounds, he said it was the most exciting journey the church had been on. The most exciting journey. And some of you are going to think, no, I want to be away when this is happening. But actually, believe me, it's an incredible discipleship journey. We're going to learn to trust God in a way that we've talked about in theory, but now comes the moment. This is about, this is the acts of Jesus, and that's what we want to do. And then, it, and then Luke says, in verse 3, he says, After suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that Jesus is alive. That term, convincing proofs, is like a legal statement. It's like that you give in a court of law, a Greek or Roman court of law, you say, I have convincing proofs. It's kind of like a term, you know, beyond reasonable doubt would be our equivalent. You know, I, I've given beyond reasonable doubt, like something that's going to stand up in a court of law, something that's historically strong and accurate, that without question, Jesus rose from the dead. Was Luke there? No. We don't know if he's part of the 500 that Jesus appeared to all at once. We don't know that. But Luke wasn't there. He did the research. And there's a whole sermon we could have talked about that. But it's absolutely important to understand that the risen Jesus is still risen. The risen Jesus is still risen. And the fact that he's risen makes all the difference to us. We might look around and say, oh, what, 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 80, 90, 100 of us. And that makes all the difference. Oh, that church down the road that raised three million in Reading, they've got 600, 300, four. that makes all the difference. But actually, the risen Jesus makes all the difference. 
Paul says this, don't he, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Is obviously, no, no. I was going to make a comment then, but I won't. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and we of all people are most to be pitied. What are we doing here if Jesus is not raised from the dead? What are we doing? Let's do something else. You know, but Jesus has been raised from the dead, says Paul. And that's absolutely critical. And we kind of think, oh yeah, he's just been raised from the dead, yeah, blah, blah. It's absolutely critical. He's still risen from the dead. He's still ascended in heaven. He's still the king of glory. Thank you, John. You're nodding again. Yeah, I'm going to, I shall buy you a coffee. Well, well, I'll give you a free one over there. (laughs) We must never forget that without the resurrection of Jesus, the Christian church would have never begun. The Jesus movement would have fizzled out like a damp squib after his execution. But Jesus is being raised from the dead and the power of a new world has broken into this broken world. The reason the Roman Empire wasn't turned over was, wasn't because they had great strategy and great planning and there were really good people, all these people from the early church. It's because the power of the risen Jesus was at work. Say amen. It's the power of the risen Jesus that changed the world so that actually now we think about victims in Pakistan and we think about victims of of rape and we think differently to the Romans because Jesus rose from the dead. And he's put that power in every one of you. And then it says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and taught about the kingdom of God. I mean, that is a theology course you want to be on. Yeah? You know, you think Andrew Wilson on Zoom, not our Andrew Wilson, we love you, Andrew, but a different Andrew Wilson theology. You know, you think, well, that's a great course to be on. Imagine being on the 40-day Risen Jesus Bible course. Would you like to be on that one? Man, that would have been a great course. Can I sign up for that? No, sorry, it's just an apostle. I mean, Jesus did a little Bible course with two people on a, on a, the risen Jesus did a little Bible course with two people on the road to Emmaus, yeah? Two disciples. I don't know how long it took to go from Jerusalem to Emmaus, let's say three hours, four hours, five hours, I don't know, maybe they got a bad hip like me. But they're walking along and they said afterwards, didn't they? What did they say? Didn't our hearts, thank you, go on, say it. Brilliant, Gav. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he talked among the road? Yeah? They were like downcast and it's all not happening and, oh, you know, look at the way things are and, you know, there's, it's, we thought this was going to be the breakthrough. We thought this was going to be the moment. We can be like that, can't we? I thought the church was going to make a difference and look at it now. I thought that the, the nation was going to be, that the gospel was going to arrive, you know, change the nation and look at it now. You lose your job for making a comment, the wrong comment. And we can trudge along and, ah. Oh. And Jesus takes four hours with those and they say, yeah, our hearts burn within us. Yeah? I wanted to be on that one. But this is the super version. The 40-day version. You'd have wanted to be on that one, wouldn't you? I want to be on that 40-day version. Where it's like suddenly mind-blown. 40 days teaching. Jesus telling them. Paradigm shifting. Totally transformational. Guys, if you don't read your Bible, you ain't signing up for the course. The reason Jesus still does the course, it might not have the same boom impact, you know, because we can drift off. You know, I can reading, drift off. But it's the same Bible course, isn't it? Same Jesus teaching us, same spirit teaching us, same hearts burn within us that we the world can be different. Amen. 
Oh, but you know, I, 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 I hear people say, oh, no, I don't read my Bible. We got it wrong. It's like the reading the Bible isn't like you get points. You get your heart to burn within you. Sometimes, sometimes you think, stuff that off, can't be bothered. Honestly, sometimes it's a hard work. Sometimes, you know, if you're in my three, you really you think like, you, you forget. Is Howard reading his Bible or his phone broken? You don't know, do you? <laughs> but the reality is I try because I want to be on that court. I want to be on that heart's burn within us. Teach me to think differently. Because if you're not on that one, the TV's te- teaching you to think differently. The Daily Mail's trying its best to teach you to think differently. The BBC's trying to teach you to think differently. TikTok's trying to make you think differently, isn't it? You know? I remember the, the joke is, you know, uh, Christians are brainwashed. And, they, and somebody said to N.T. Wright, Christians are brainwashed. And he said, what I'm washing my brain is a lot better than what you're washing your brain is. <laughs> Amen. So we want to be on that. And so we understand. But it seems like they, they, they didn't get it. We get a little highlight of one student-teacher interaction. If you're an educationalist, uh, this is what's happened. You've just taught like 40-day A-level teaching course about whatever. And they come and the student comes and asks the dumbest question. Or it seems like they asked the dumbest question. Let's read it. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. I love that. Jesus is always eating. We're always eating. Uh, God first, we just eat. I mean, if we go to chapel arts, we will eat. We will, the first thing we will do, they will buy some tables and chairs and we will eat. We will have the best party. We'll eat. Jesus eats with them. Anyway, sorry, that's, that's not my sermon. Um, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the, Holy, uh, wait for the gift my father promised which you heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's, what he's, that's a little summary of what we kind of talked to him about. You've got to understand the coming of the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about this in a few weeks, was critical in their view of the age to come. When the Spirit came, that's God's new age breaking in. We now think, oh, well, that's just what happens when you go to new wine, isn't it? No, it's actually a power of God breaking in. I'm not, that wasn't a dig on new wine. Go to new wine and get filled with the Spirit. You know, go to new day and get filled with the Spirit. But actually, we tend to think of the Holy Spirit in that kind of way. But actually, they understood the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You read Ezekiel. You read Isaiah. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the start of the new age. And then they come, and it seems like they're asking the, the, the dumbest question. And I've often wondered... Why do the people, disciples ask what seems like the dumbest question? And then why does Jesus seem to give them a bit of a dodge? It says, they gathered around him and said, Lord, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And he said, ah, it's not for you to know. I'm going to tell you, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father's set. And then he repeats the same thing. It's almost like it's a dodge. And I thought about that. And I thought, what do we think the, what do we think the um, disciples are asking? This is my last, almost my last point on this. What do we think the disciples are asking? Okay, let me tell you what I've often thought they're asking. Now, Jesus, you've conquered death. Could you now conquer Rome? Now you've conquered death uh, and uh, victory over death. Could you kick the Romans out? And could you make Israel a sovereign nation again? That's what it sounds like, isn't it? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to do what we thought at Palm Sunday when you were all when you were coming in on the donkey that you were going to kind of create a new theocracy, a new you were going to be the new military ruler who's going to rule rule from Jerusalem, and you're going to do that? Is that is that what we're asking? And it sounds like well, that's such a dumb question, isn't it? No, you might not think it's a dumb question. I'm telling you, it's a dumb question. 
It's a dumb question because why did Jesus... You know, it's the question that, that when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter says, don't go to the cross, that's stupid. It's that kind of question, isn't it? It's kind of, really? Because Jesus said, no, I'm going to die and I'm going to do something else. I'm doing something else. When Jesus dies on the cross, the victory he's winning over, is over evil, sin and death, isn't it? It's not over the Romans, it's over something far more powerful. And so if they're asking, is it now the time you're going to, you're going to put the going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem and be the military ruler. That's kind of a head slap. It's almost like the, the disciples had learned nothing. And I used to think that. But it would also mean that Jesus is a really bad teacher. And I struggle with that. I may not struggle with the disciples are dumb because we're all dumb. You know, we teach stuff and like... But Jesus is not a bad teacher because what has he been teaching on? What was the topic of the 40-day seminar? You can look. The kingdom of God. He's talking for 40 days in the kingdom of God. He's, they're not going to say, uh, um, are you going to do this mil- political military kingdom thing? No, he's not. He's going to say, they're asking, is this the moment for the new covenant Israel that's going to bring God's kingdom rule as light to the nations? Is this the moment? Is this when it happens? Is this when it starts? Is this little group of, I don't know, let's say 120 that did the seminar, or maybe it was just 12 that did the seminar, is, is that group going to be bring all the promises that have been in Isaiah and all the promises that have been through all the prophets and the promises made to David and the promises made to Abraham, is this little group going to do that? What does Jesus say? I'm not going to give you the timeline, but yes, yes, this group's going to do that. It says, it's not for you to know the timeline. It says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set, but we're ready to go. Get your kit on, put your spikes on, get your blocks on, get in Jerusalem, wait on your marks, get set. Boom! Holy Spirit poured out, let's go. Let's go. And that makes total sense, doesn't it? If they think that, 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 that the new, this Israel is a new community. Because if you read in the bottom of Acts, after the kind of stuff that I've just read, do, does anyone know what they do? Anyone remember what they do? Shall I tell you? I'll tell you. They basically appoint another disciple, don't they? To, to, to fill Ju- Judas's boots. And you think, what's that doing in there between that promise and the ascension? And that? What, why are they doing that? Does anyone think why they're doing that? Because they realize 12 is important. Why is 12 important, John? Okay, I'll give you. Sorry, bad question. You were right. You get points for that. Sorry, I asked you a supplementary. <laughs> 12 was the number of Jesus's, of, of Jacob's sons. Israel was, is his name. Is this the time you're going to do with uh, Jacob's sons, the 12 sons of Jacob, with us 12? Is this what you're going to do then? What you promised all those years with new Israel, is that what you're going to do now? And that's why they make another one think, we're better getting the number up today. We don't know what to do. We're waiting. We're just getting the number up to speed. But Jesus said to them, on your marks, get set, let's go. It's a bit like in in Luke's gospel, and actually Luke's gospel maps onto Acts. But it's a bit like in Luke's gospel, because Jesus taught the 12, and then he taught the 72, and then what did he do? Sent them out. So it's not a dodge. Jesus is not, it's not a dodge. He's saying, now's the time. Now is the time. And then he quotes loads of bits from Isaiah and just 
joins it together. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you are. In Judea and Samaria, that's close by and cross a few cultural boundaries and to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book does. It does chapters 1 to 8, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, 8 to 12, and the ends of the earth, 13 to 28. The ends of the earth for Paul was Rome, but the ends of the earth for us is still going, isn't it? It's still going. That's a movement called Acts 29. I think it's a good idea, but it's basically saying we're still in this game. We're still in this story. We're still part of it. The Jesus mandate is still now to go to the nations and be full of the Spirit. The, the church is still the new people of God, out, outpoured Spirit. Let me just read you this and we'll finish. Phil Moore in his, his little book on Acts says this. The Holy Spirit, the promise of God, would enable them to be Christ's witnesses by transforming their lives from the inside out. That's part of what we talked about in the form series. So that they would bear the fruit of the Spirit, their hearts with love to one another. So that their gospel message would become irresistibly attractive to the unsaved world. The Holy Spirit would turn them into Christ's fearless witnesses. The persecute, this persecuted religious sect would bear bold witness to the resurrection of Christ, their Saviour. And then it says this, it would not be head down, hope they don't notice Christians who practice their religion in, quiet, in private and kept it to themselves in public. What was remarkable was their conviction, their passion, their boldness, and their, their bold, unstoppable faith in the risen Jesus. I, I kind of want to be like that. I remember when we were, I'm finishing here. I remember that when, when uh, we was uh, like first in this type of church, Naomi, you know, we weren't leading, but we were first in this type of church, and they talked about restoring the church. They talked about, let's have the church like that kind of church, like the Acts church. And in one sense, it ain't going to be ever like that, maybe, unless God does something remarkable. But there's enough in there for us to say, I, I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit in my heart. I want to be like people think, how do you live like that? What's so different about you? I want the gospel message to be irresistible, irresistibly attractive to the unsaved world the way we are. I want the Holy Spirit to turn me into a fearless witness. I don't want to be a head down, hope they don't know it's me Christian when I'm a, being my, a governor at Balcaris. I don't want to practice my religion in private. I don't want to keep it to myself. You know that what happened is that the, they were shocked most of all that, that these people died for their faith. They would say, are you going to sacrifice to the emperor? And they said no. And they couldn't understand it because they weren't carrying swords or they weren't causing bother. They weren't up down the street with placards. They said, are you going to sacrifice the emperor? And they said, no. And they said, well, we're going to kill you. And they said, we don't care. Christians still do that some, in some places, but it's got to be easy here, hasn't it? But I'd love us to have the conviction, the passion, the bold, unstoppable faith in the risen Jesus. And then it lands, and it says, and then and Jesus then it says was taken up to heaven. After he'd said this, he was taken up to yeah, thanks guys. He was taken up to before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from sight. We haven't time to to rip into that, but basically that's Daniel, the son of man. Coming in the clouds of glory, it says, it says in Daniel, and he approached the, the throne of the Ancient of Days, and he was given sovereign 
power and glory and all nations were given to him. That's the Jesus we worship. He is in charge. And you think, it says in Hebrews, we don't see everything subject to him, but we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, crucified on a cross, died and buried, and we're going to celebrate that. We see him now ascended on high. That made all the difference for them. And it should make all the difference for us. And it's funny, the angels, there's almost a bit of humor. These two men say, why do you stand looking into heaven? And I'm not digging looking against looking into heaven. I think looking at heaven's great. You know, when you're having those, those moments, you want to look into heaven. But it's not just, the Christian faith isn't just looking into heaven, is it? It's actually, let's go. And this gospel says Matthew, it says Jesus in Matthew, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. That's the program we're on. That's the program we're on. We're on to church politics, tiddlers and toddlers, da-da-da-da-da. We're in all those, but actually we're in that big picture. Amen? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.